here we are, just to build the context briefly, uh, here we are in a portion of Israel's history where God gave them what they wanted, and that was a king, a man to lead them. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted a physical leader to lead them to war, to go to battle ahead of them as a people. God designed them, you know, uh, to be under his rule and reign, a monarchy. But they said, no, we don't want that. We, we want a physical ruler. We want a leader, a man that we can look to. So God gave them the, their choice. He gave them their choice man. A guy, I suppose, to give you a visual, um, like how Trevor was to me, you know, head and shoulders above me in height. Uh, that's who this king was that God gave to the nation, Saul, head and shoulders above everybody. You know, that tall, dark, handsome, just physically appealing type of a representative of the nation. God gave them what they wanted. And quickly into his reign, he sins. You know, he disobeys the Lord. And it's revealed to us in scripture that disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft. And God's not pleased. I mean, these are his people that have been entrusted to this man. So Samuel, the prophet, is grieved because he's a godly man. He wanted this thing to work out. And it says in chapter 16 of verse 1, if you're just getting into the sanctuary here of, of 1 Samuel, it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, he said, How long are you going to mourn? Uh, the word there is grieve. Like, How long are you going to grieve as if a death just happened over Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being the ruler over Israel? He says, I want you to fill your horn with oil, and that will be... That will be important to us as we, as we make our way down through the chapter. He says, I want you to fill your horn with oil and go, and I'm going to send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, is like some 11 miles or so from where he was. I want you to go to this little town of Bethlehem, and I want you to go there because I have provided me, it says, I have provided for me, the Lord says, a king among Jesse's sons. And uh, the word provided there, um, is, is, it could be translated, and it is translated in Hebrew, to see. So it kind of reads this way. You know, I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to go to the house of Jesse, for I see, the verb see is there, where it says in, in the Bible here, I provided, I see me a king. You know, this, that's what this whole chapter is about. Um, there, there's, there's just this seeing by the Lord that isn't seen by man as we make our way through this. Over and over again, that phrase is repeated, to see, to see, to see. I think it's like seven or eight times. The whole chapter is about seeing, about who's seeing what, how it is that God sees in a way that man doesn't see. You know, I see something in Bethlehem. I saw it long before your days, Samuel. And I, I, I've seen this from before the foundation of the world. There, there's a plan in place. There's a purpose in place. Um, back when, um, you know, Ruth and Boaz uh, got together there in Bethlehem and they had their child, Obed, and then, you know, Obed had Jesse and then ultimately this great-grandson of these folks that's going to be in the place that I'm sending you to. You don't see, you don't know, but I see and I know, so I just want you to go. And I wonder, you know, I try, to, I try to imagine the text and think through what this would be like. I mean, this is a lesser point, and I want to come back to this one day um, and do a little study on Samuel, because I wonder if Samuel uh, is feeling at this point like, Lord, we've already done this once. You know, we, we've already done this king thing one time, and that didn't work out very well. 
Um, but the Lord is, 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 is doing something in his heart here. Um, he's, he's, he's allowing there to be this developing of, a, a, of his ear being sensitive to the voice of the Lord. And we've seen that since the genesis of the ministry of Samuel. Back when he was a young boy, as the book begins, you know, and he's staying with Eli, the priest, and he hears the Lord calling to him, and he thinks it's Eli, and he gets up out of bed several times, and, and, and finally Eli realizes this isn't an earthly voice, this is a heavenly voice. Just say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And it's even in this portion of his life that God is still cultivating and developing a tender ear, kind of like doctor was just speaking that blessed me so much, by the way, just that whole message of leaning in and, and listening in to the voice of Jesus. The Lord's developing something here um, in the life of Samuel where I just want you to listen. I just want you to obey. I just, I want you to go because what you're going to do here um, when you get to Bethlehem, after you take that next step of obedience, um, this is going to be the most significant thing that you're going to do, Samuel, in your entire career. You're going to get to this place and you're going to dump oil on the head of David. And that's going to be the ongoing story of God that is dependent upon your actions. He doesn't know that at this time. He's just, you know, in fact, what he says in verse two, he says, how am I going to go? He says, if Saul finds out, if he hears of this, he's going to kill me. And, and if you're familiar with this portion of scriptures, you know, Saul was crazy. He gets crazier as we go. He said, Saul will kill me if I go and do this thing that you're telling me to do. I want to obey. I just don't want to get killed. That's what he's essentially saying. And so it says that the Lord said to him, take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And when you get there, call Jesse, verse three, to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint unto me him, notice here, whom I will name unto thee. So Samuel, verse 4, he did that which the Lord spake, and he came to the house of bread. He came to the house of bread, Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and they said, you come peaceably. And he said, peaceably I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord, verse 5. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and he called them to the sacrifice. Now, verse 6 says, it came to pass when the boys all made their way in that Samuel, it says in King James, verse 6, it says he looked. Um, the word is deeper than he just looked. It's he inspected. Um, he, he's, he's taking in, it will be seven sons at the time. He's taking in their visage, their appearance. He, he, he's, he's looking at them. He's sizing them up. He's studying them. It says he, he looks at these boys, and the first being Eliab there in verse 6, and he says, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And I, I picture it, you know, again, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but the Lord told him to take a horn of oil, and he's going to anoint the next king. So I'm wondering if he's like, let me get in and get out. And perhaps he's got the horn of oil, and he's ready to pour it out, and the Lord says, not, not so fast. You know, this isn't, this isn't the man that I have chosen. I think it's because he was closest in resemblance to Saul. It would almost be like a seamless transition. Nobody would really even notice if it were this guy. Probably tall. It would seem he's tall. It seems as though it's insinuated that he was tall and dark and dark eyes because it's distinguished that David didn't have dark eyes. And we'll get there in, in just a moment. But he probably looked, you know, noble. He would wear a, a king's robe well. Tall people wear clothes better. Short people got to fold their pants and fold their sleeves and, 
it seems like I'm doing a study of me and Trevor. I'm unfortunately David here and he's Saul. It just works that way. I didn't set that up. But I appreciate the sermon illustration. You know, we were out to eat last night after, after I landed. We got in late last night and, and uh, he was saying, you know, when you're tall, you got to be careful that you don't get too overweight because it, it looks funny. And I'm thinking, you have no idea. Like, if you're tall, at least you're stretched out a little bit. When you're short and you're overweight, you just look like a box. It's terrible. Um, but I, I imagine here in the natural, and just because, you know, the best of men are men at best. And I think as great as, and Samuel is a hero of mine. I, I admire his ministry. I'm actually going to start the book of 1 Samuel at the New Year. I, I really, this is my favorite book in the Bible. Whatever book I'm studying, I always say that about. It's my favorite book in the Bible. But I just got done teaching Revelation, so I'm just like, I need a breather. And, and 1 Samuel is, is going to be that, I think, for us. I just connect so much to this portion of scriptures, the realness of David and his men. But I, I picture Samuel here like, Lord, this has to be him. And I just picture him sort of getting ready to take that horn of oil and pouring it out. But, but the Lord says to him in verse 7, he says, Samuel, don't, don't look on his countenance. You don't look at his visage. Don't look at the height of his stature. You know, he's, yeah, I don't, it's like the Lord saying, I don't really like tall, handsome guys. He says, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So I read that verse and uh, it's a verse I've just heard so many of times and I've heard so many sermons on it. But it bothered me this time because I thought, Lord, it, it's weird to me. Now, now I'm going to tell you, I'll try to be as biblical as possible. I'm just going to do a Bible study today. But, but when there's conjecture in mind, I'll say it's just conjecture. And I came to this portion. I thought, this is my conjecture. I thought, Lord, this bothers me because I, I, I know you're not saying, I know you're not saying you don't use tall, handsome people. You know, I, I just got done teaching through the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians on Wednesday night. And, you know, it, it says that not, not many mighty are called, but it doesn't say that not any mighty are noble, right? That's an important emphasis because I think sometimes Christians, they, they make a fool of themselves and they boast in their ignorance and foolishness. I think that we should desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and to button up areas that we're lacking in by his grace through his spirit and his word over time. So I don't want to exalt that type of mentality. I, I, don't, I don't think here the emphasis is that, you know, um, God refuses Eliab and, as we see here, the other brothers because of their visage. I think that's outlandish and ridiculous. In fact, it's crazy because as we make our way down in just a few minutes, we're going to be introduced to David, and what's given of David is his physical appearance, the description of it. So I thought, Lord, is there something more here? And, and listen, I can't even tell you, um, the Bible, Old Testament Bible scholar that I, that I got this from, he's allegedly masterful um, in, in study from Old Testament and, and Hebrew, um, but I, I haven't like read through enough of his stuff yet to say, comfortably say his name. I, I don't want to disrespect Pastor Joe, but I, I, was, I was reading through. <laughs> it's not a joke. I'm serious. I don't want to disrespect him using his pulpit to bring a, a name up that I don't, I don't know well enough to, to do. But I came across a translation that he pulls from the Hebrew of this verse that pierced me, and I know that the doctrine behind it is solid. Um, he suggests this man, if I'm ever invited again, I'll tell you who he is if I like him. If not, I'll never bring it up again. But he says a more little translation of verse 7, and this is why I have you here today. This is, this is why I chose this text. It would read more this way. After the whole refusing of Eliab and eventually the other brothers, 
Um, what the Lord would then say to Samuel, according to this scholar, is that, but the Lord looketh according to his heart, not David's heart. So, so in other words, it, it's like this. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I've, I've refused him. And then it would be, but the Lord looketh according to his heart. According to his own heart, the Lord has sought out a man. You with me? According to the Lord's own heart, he has sought after a man or sought out a man. If you want to, it's easy to do. You could turn to chapter 13, verse 14 real quick. And again, when the Lord is dealing with with Saul for his failure, for his sin, it says there, now the kingdom shall not continue. It says the Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. Um, What's going on in that place, like our text this afternoon, is that the proposition that is placed there, that after or according to it qualifies the verb saw out rather than qualifying the noun man. So in other words, it's after God's own choosing. I, I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to give you a different look at this verse to appreciate the sovereignty and the grace of God. It's not that man's heart is full of God in this instance, or really in any instance, but rather that God's heart is focused on man. See, I, so, so real quick, because you, you, you don't even know who I am, really. Um, I've grown up in church. All I know is church. My, my dad was the founding pastor. Uh, he started our church uh, six months before I was born. When I was born, the nursery, I was, I'm the second of four children, uh, the nursery for our home church was my bedroom. So, so that's how our church began. Um, Pastor Bill Gallatin is who my dad is out from. He was one of the first guys to the East Coast, first guy to upstate New York. And then he eventually would send my dad and two other guys out at the same time. And they planted works outside of the city of, of Rochester. So I've, I've grown up in church all of my life. I, I watched my dad be a pastor until I took over for him. Next Sunday will be 11 years. Um, but it wasn't like some beautiful transition. My dad was removed for pastoral impropriety. So I took the pulpit in a, in a very difficult manner. Um, we built our church in 2004 with about 1,200 people. When I took over November 21st, 2010, we maybe had 180. Um, the church had completely dwindled over about a 10-year time span. We went through two severe church splits. And when you're barely over 1,000 people and you have two church splits, it doesn't leave you with much. My dad's right-hand man died in a car accident, tragically uh, driving into church. Um, he ran into a, a, a garbage truck on a, on a sunny day. It was a snowy, sunny day. And he smashed into it. He died on impact. And it left, it left my dad and myself and my brother and maybe one other guy remaining on staff um, and then shortly after was his demise, and he fell, and, and we had to remove him. And so I, I've, I've grown up in the ministry, and then I, I went through um, what I would have never imagined that I would go through um, for the succession plan. There was always going to be this idea, according to my dad and the elders, that I was going to be the one who would succeed for him. I just didn't think it'd be that way. I don't think anybody thought it would be that way. I was hoping for it to be like when I was 50 um, or something like that. I'm 36, so it started at 25, and uh, there was no mentor. There, there was, there was, there was nobody to really, you know, to say, okay, do this, don't do that, or let's ease you into this. 
Um, a month after I took the pulpit, we didn't have a secretary at the time. Uh, an old Bible college student of my dad's, it was a Wednesday. It was my first midweek I was going to do. I'd been doing Sunday mornings for three months, and another local pastor was doing Wednesday nights for me. And uh, I was ready to, I guess, uh, they, he told me I was ready. I, don't, I still don't know if I'm ready, but he said, you're ready to do midweek now too. So it was that first Wednesday night, I'm preparing for midweek, and all of a sudden, my door slams open. It's this zealous Bible college student, just graduated, and he comes in my office and he said, Ichabod. And I said, what? And he said, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord has departed from this place. He's like, it's got to be shut down. You know, God, God, God's spirit is, is gone from this place. It, it, it's over. Whatever the Lord has done, it's over. The work, the, the work has ceased. And then he just kind of like shook his head at me and made this weird looking face and then just left the room. And I just remember thinking like this, Lord, what, what is this? Just, this is crazy. Like, what, what, what is this mess that you've allowed us to inherit? What, what is it that you're doing, Lord? Like, 25 years old, I look back and I think that's crazy. And uh, I just, so through the years, the Lord has been my pastor. And he and I, I've, I've relied on what the doctor was speaking about, of that leaning in, it resonated so much. That there would be no other way for me to put one foot in front of the other if it weren't for God, his spirit, teaching me the voice of Jesus in a way that I, I would never have known, that tender voice and leaning in, like you used that illustration, where, where you can learn his voice and learn him. And what he's revealed to me, I, I would say mostly through the process, because I want to get back to the scriptures, but what he's mainly revealed to me is that everything that he has done in and through me and is going to do is simply and solely because of his grace and sovereignty. As much as I grew up with a heart for the Lord, and I, and I did, and I, and I got saved at a young age, and like most little boys, I wanted to be like my dad. My dream was to work with my dad and, and, and to serve with him and alongside of him. As much as there was that there, I'm not going to play a role at any of you guys. There's a ton of sin too. And I, I, I could never, I just try to connect this and this, this is the angle I want to take it from as I go forward with you in presenting David to you. I could never say, oh, I was raised up because of something in me. I was raised up because I was some special, unique 25-year-old. I mean, I quite honestly didn't even really know what was going on. I felt like I was in like this whirlwind. I, I think if I knew what was going on and if I knew what the senior pastor it was going to be like, I would have bounced. But, but the Lord in his sovereignty was doing something according to his heart. What I, what I want to suggest to you strongly today is that God has something specific that he wants to do in every single one of your hearts and in your lives that he has planned from before the foundation of the world. It has, he loves you because he loves you. He chose Israel to be his nation, Deuteronomy 7 says. He chose Jerusalem to be his city. He's choosing David to be his king. He chose Peter, James, John, and the others because he has the right to choose. And yeah, we got free will. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm a Calvary Chapel guy. I fully believe in free will, but I feel like the Lord sent me here to take a, a different spin on that. You guys are the most well-taught people in the movement, so I don't need to, 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 to torture you with breaking down a text you know. 
I just want to look at it from the other angle today, that there's something. Remember when Jacob is prophesying over his sons in Genesis 49, going all the way back that he's leaning on the scepter. And when he got to the tribe of Judah, he said that the, that the scepter will not depart um, from Judah. The, the right to rule as king will not depart from Judah, which is the tribe that is in front of us here today, that, that, that David is from this tribe. And then ultimately Jesus Christ would be from that tribe. These plans for David's life were beside David. They, they were before he was, I mean, when, 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 when Samuel 13, 14 is given and, and, and it's told to, to Saul that, that the Lord has, has a man that's after his own heart, it's very likely that David wasn't even born yet. And God is calling those things that are not yet as though they will be. So I'm just trying to say to you in simplicity today, I mean, don't get lost in the wordiness. The the simplicity of the message and what I want to continue to develop here as we move forward is simply that God has, according to his eternal wisdom and counsel, he's got a plan for every single one of your lives. He, He sent me here to you today, I believe strongly, to tell you that he's got a plan for your life that is beside you. It's not because of you, it's in spite of you. And I really don't believe that you can frustrate those plans as long as you continuously submit yourself to his hands, to, to the work of his spirit. It's not that It's not that David's heart, it was. And I listen, I get it, we'll get there. And I'm gonna give him the credit that he's due, but it's not specifically that David's heart was full of God. It's that God's heart was focused on David. Talking about that here, that the the place that that David has in God's heart versus the place that God has in his, I just think that that is such a beautiful um, way to look at this. Just the sovereignty of the Lord in all of this. Like just, just there's something here that I want to do. I, ha- I have a choice. I, I have a selection. Um, you know, I'm going to read this to you. You don't have to turn. Uh, I'm going to read to you from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 21. It says there, for your word's sake, talking to the Lord and according to your own heart, has thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them? God, this is all according to your heart. Even David acknowledges that. So here we are in our text back in 1 Samuel 16 here. The Lord says to Samuel in verse 7, I, don't look on his countenance, don't look on, their, on his height or stature. I, I've, ref, I've refused him. It's not because of those things. That would be ridiculous. But the Lord sees, that's, that's, that's what we want to focus here. He sees something. He sees not as man sees, but he sees according to his own heart, not necessarily just David's heart. So Jesse calls Abinadab in verse 8, and he made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by in verse 9, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this. And again in verse 10, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said in verse 11 unto Jesse, are here all your children? You know, probably frustrated a little bit. And he said, yeah, I mean, there remains like one more. He doesn't even say his name. 
He just says the youngest. You know, it's, 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 not, a, it's not a nice uh, term that he used there. He's saying like the least, the most insignificant, the smallest, the, 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 the most unimportant. Um, he's out keeping the sheep. I mean, that's, that's not like a compliment. That's a lowly place to be. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him for we're not going to sit down until he comes hither. Like, go get that boy. And until he comes, you know, we're not even going to sit down. What an awkward, like, waiting that must have been for, for David to come in from the fields. And he sent, verse 12, and he brought him in, it says, and it tells us here his physical description after just told us that God, you know, isn't concerned with the outward appearance. Isn't that interesting? It tells us what he looks like. You know, now, I don't know how old he is. Um, Josephus says, who I, I use all the time, he says he's around the age of 10. Um, most ancient rabbis say he's probably closer to 15. Okay, either which way. My son at home is 10. I think of him running in from out in the backyard, you know, playing football with his buddies or something. You know, he comes running in. Uh, maybe some of you guys are close to that age, junior high students that are in the room. And it says that, first of all, he was ruddy. You know, we don't, we don't, was, he, was his cheeks rosy from kind of having a pallor skin and running in to have rosy cheeks? Um, you know, we, we don't know exactly what it means. I guess it's not overly important. I just kind of want to paint a picture with you of God's choice. He was ruddy. Uh, perhaps it's just as he had this fair complexion or I don't know, Esau, it, it describes like this red hair. Maybe he had like a reddish blonde hair. You see a lot of Jews that way in Israel. It says he's got a beautiful countenance. Um, you know, he's got these light eyes which wasn't a good thing in this Orient. Again, those dark eyes, dark hair, that, that was something that you would want. This ear was like a sign of weakness, probably had hazel eyes, you know, it was a lighter color eye. So you're kind of picturing this boy, obviously not big in stature because the contrast is drawn from his older brother, but it tells us that he's goodly to look at. And then the Lord says to Samuel, and I don't know how he said it, but perhaps he just you know, impressed on his heart, he says, arise and anoint him for this is he. This is the guy. So Samuel, verse 13, took the horn of oil and he anointed him. This is the first of three anointings in the midst of his brethren. And I, you know, I just, that pierces me, this younger brother, seven brothers, you know, and here he's getting the oil dumped over his head. And the spirit of the Lord, beautifully, verse 13, came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and he went to Ramah. You know, this is, this is amazing to me too. Um, finally now, the horn of oil that, that Samuel travels with is ready to be poured out, obviously representing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being poured out on this 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old kid. It, you know, so if you're a young person here today, like, I know a lot of times older people want to say you're too young, but God can take a life that's yielded to him and use him at any age. I don't know, as I was watching the first two sessions, my, my, my heart was touched by how many young guys are here with their dads. I think it's awesome just that you young guys are here, even if you're a little bored and want this thing to be over with. You know, the Lord's going to honor you and he's going to bless your life and he can use your life even at a young age. But I think it's amazing here because I, I was fascinated by this description of the horn of oil. And I, and, I, and I learned and I realized that at the bottom of the horn, they would place wax in this day so that the wax would hold the oil from being poured out. The oil wouldn't be able to be poured out until the wax would melt. When the wax would melt, then the oil could be poured out. And I'm wondering, like, Lord, even if, like, he were to pour the horn of oil over Eliab's head or, 
one of the wrong guy's heads. Perhaps it wouldn't have even poured anyways because the wax had to melt. Like, like, Lord, there's something beautiful here that, that, that is being shown, at least to me, like, that there's something that you want to do here. There's something that you want to do that's otherworldly, that's going to have internal implications. The last self-description given by Jesus of himself at the close of the Bible is that he's the root and fruit of David in Revelation 22. You know, that he's the bright and morning star. It's like there's just this, this whole scene here takes us all the way to the end of the age. And the Holy Spirit here uh, being represented by this horn of oil because the heart was tender. Yeah, David was a God chaser. David, David was a guy out in the field, you know, playing music to the Lord, singing to the Lord, dancing to the Lord. I mean, David, David was probably so strange um, to, to his brothers and to other people of that time. You know, maybe, maybe it was his mother who had this great impact upon his upbringing spiritually because twice he calls her the handmaid of the Lord through scriptures. Jesse's obviously like despising him, not even considering him. But twice David refers to his mom as the handmaiden of the Lord. And maybe it was that upbringing from that nurturing point of view as a woman of God that David had this tenderness for the Lord. This hippie kid out in, the, out in the field, tending to the flock of Israel. Psalm 78 says that the Lord brought him out from the flock of Israel, tending to them to make him the ruler of his people. Just something about him. He's a God chaser. It's like David was dating God, writing poetry to him, pursuing him after him. For sure, I don't want to take that from him and God's choice of him. But if, if there's no Holy Spirit placed upon David's life, it, it, right, if there, and even he would say that as an Old Testament saint, Lord, please take not your Holy Spirit from me. Understanding, like apart apart from that, then I then I've got nothing. And so and so David here has this oil placed upon him, this otherworldly empowerment um, that that's represented here. Um, in, in the language, it's he would become the smeared one, the smeared one with the oil. He's marked out for for special service. And from verse 13 to verse 14, uh, there's this uh, transferring of power that takes place that I want to read through with you so that I can give you my final points of application before we close. It's imperative that I show you these things. Um, uh, we don't know uh, if this is the actual chronological flow. It seems like it's more the thematical flow. Uh, it, uh, many scholars say that chapter 17 and that great feat David has over Goliath chronologically would have happened between verse 13 and verse 14. Um, but that's not a main thing and plain thing, so we'll just keep moving. Sorry for wasting your time. He says, but the Spirit of the Lord here, because the contrast needs to be seen, because this is going to take us to our close. But the Spirit of the Lord, verse 14, again, poured out on David in verse 13, but in verse 14, he departs from Saul. Um, and it says, in an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him, which is troubling and Saul's servant said unto him, verse 15, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubles thee. You know, Saul, you rejected God, and now God has rejected you. So let our Lord now, verse 16, command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp. You know, let's bring in some musical therapy, like this court musician here. Uh, music has that way. I'm thankful. I was telling the guys in the back, I'm thankful for the emphasis of worship here. It breaks down walls. It softens hearts. It's very therapeutic 
depending on the music and the musician, of course. But in this place, it's been very therapeutic. In this instance, it would have been very therapeutic. Let's get a court musician. Let's bring in somebody who can play the harp. And it will come to pass that when the evil spirit, middle verse 16, is upon Saul, that he will play the musician with his hand and you will be well. And Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. And so it says, then answered one of the servants and said in verse 18, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He's cunning, number one, in his playing. He's a mighty, valiant man, number two. He's a man of war, number three. And he's prudent in matters, number four. And lastly, it says he's a comely person. And most importantly, the Lord is with him. Wherefore, verse 19, Saul sent messengers unto Jesse. And he said, send me David, thy son, which is with the sheep. And it's crazy because in chapter 15, when Samuel is dealing with Saul, he said that the Lord has a better man than thee, ethically speaking. And this is that better man. The rejected king, namely Saul, is asking for the new anointed king, namely David, to come and to minister to him. What, what a strange scene. And so Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid, and he sent him by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul, and he stood before him. And I believe here that the he is speaking of David. David loved him. I believe that that's what that says there. And David became his armor bearer. He's serving his internship as the king of Israel. Armor bearer always by the side of the king. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And it came to pass when an evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and he played it, it says, with his hand. And Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. That's like the second, uh, three times the word refreshed there in the closing verse is used in scripture. Twice it's refreshed, one time it's used as large. But it could speak of having ample room. Um, it could speak of uh, like extending space to making space wide. It could even speak of like being able to breathe freely. And I was thinking, Lord, that's exactly what you want to do with the men that you've called according to your plans and purposes from before the foundation of the world. There are so many troubled people out there by evil spirits. I mean, and the message has gone forth strongly. So, so I'm not going to repeat what has already been said. It's the obvious. There are so many weary people. There are so many vexed people out in that world. Wherever you all go from here, they're there. Troubled by evil spirit. I mean, there are so many evil spirits and powers and principalities that are behind all of the works of darkness that are on the news every day, every night in our nation. And I just felt like the Lord told me to say to all of you that as co-heirs of Christ, everything that is Christ, he's our big brother, theologically speaking. Everything that is his is ours. We are not just the king's kids, but we've been called to reign with Christ. That's what Romans 5 says in this life. As, as kings and priests, to reign with him, to, to serve him, 
Um, it's not because, and, and here's, here's where we want to go with it. It's not because of anything, it's not a resume. It's, it's not because of anything spectacular in and of ourselves. Even if we're God chasers, even if, even, if, even if we're sincere worshipers of the Lord that get alone with him every morning uh, and, and spend time in his word and on our faces praying, like no matter how much good there is within us, like if you can say it that way, right? There's really nothing good within us apart from God's spirit working that. To will and to do of his good pleasure comes from him. So, so this calling from God is, is beside us. It's outside of us. It's, it's just that the Lord has saw fit to save us from our background, from drugs, from alcohol, maybe from being a moralist. I don't know, you know, maybe from self-righteousness. I don't know what the room represents. That's kind of the beauty of giving this message. I don't know, y'all. I just know the Lord told me to share these things. I, up till lunch, was thinking, Lord, I don't really want to share this. I got something else I'd really like to share that I think I could teach better. There's something I really wrestled, I mean, all the way to the bell rang. But I, I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you these things explicitly that I'm reiterating right now. That, that you being here in this place, uh, you know, at a men's day, this is all according to his will and his plans and purpose. He wants to stir something within you. Otherwise, we've wasted, we've wasted each other's time. We've wasted all of our time. If it's just another conference, if, if it's just us sitting through speaker to speaker and kind of scoring the speakers, well, I give that one a six, or, you know, this guy over here, I hope he never comes back. And, you know, this guy, seriously, the carnality that could be within us when we listen to men who are vulnerable in the pulpit is, is, is ridiculous. And the Lord is saying, I, there's something that I, I want to do with you and through you that's, it's not because of you. It's because of my, it's, it's, I, I've, I've fashioned you. I, I've, I, I've made you, you know, the warp and the woof of you. It, it's, it's all designed by me. Like all that there is to you has been designed by me. Like there's nobody else like you. And I, I want to use you in this generation. And so it just sets us at ease. You know what that does? It does two things. It produces security and it produces humility. It's like, God, there's this security in that this calling and election of mine, not just in my salvation, but in my service is, is all by you. And then there's this humility that I can't even believe, God, you're using me. I mean, even this right now is surreal to me. It almost feels like an out-of-body experience. That here I am at Calvary Philly just sharing God's word, you know, just with a bunch of men that I don't even know. If I listened to that guy 11 years ago, Ichabod, the place is going to be shut down. And then I, and I've seen the exact opposite and God totally rebuild our church and God continuously to give us a platform to herald and preach the gospel. I mean, there's, it's all Jesus. And then it's like, then I just want, and I want you to communicate to these guys, just like David, I just want men to be their sanctified selves. David was a, David was a hippie musician. He, that guy's wild. Like, like I just got done reading through Samuel and what he does and, and how he takes Abigail and how he just, how he takes Goliath's sword. And he's kind of, he's crazy how he joins the Philistines camp for a bit there. And you know, the life of David, it's one of the most fast, he's the most mentioned man in the Bible outside of Jesus Christ. The most Bible verse are given to this man outside of Jesus. He's fascinating to study. And it's like the Lord wanted me to tell you guys, just be you. So in the process of me saying to you, Jesus wants to take you and Jesus wants to use you, I also want to be used by him right now to tell you, you got the freedom to be you. Like I'm listening to Dr. Speak, Dr. Joe, right? I was listening to Dr. Joe speak and I was thinking, oh, I want to be like Dr. Joe. 
I want to be like Dr. Joe. I, it, it just, I, first of all, I'm fascinated by medicine and you know surgeries and things of that sort, and uh, that that blows me away. But then I also just like the way you speak. And when I first took the pulpit, I wanted, to, I was like, I always was a mover. This is uncomfortable for me to try to stay still. Uh, this was before Instagram and all these hipster preachers. I didn't know that it was going to become a trend, you know, with tables and microphones and how people do things. I, out of just, I think it's because I'm Italian, I use my hands and I like to move and I like to walk and talk. It's more natural for me at home. I don't, I can't be stationary. Um, and, and it's not, it, it, you know, it's not anything that I'm doing to be like anybody. It's just who I am. And the Lord just says, hey, listen, there's freedom in that. Because when I first took the pulpit, if I got to teach like anybody, I would have picked Damien Kyle. I just love his dry sense of humor. I love that he doesn't have to sweat at all when he's speaking. He just kind of stands there. And it just is like, you know, I mean, he's just so incredibly dry, but yeah, and so incredibly like rich. And you just, I'm on the edge of my seat. Every study I hear him give, he's my, he's my favorite conference speaker. And then the Lord's like, no, but that's, it. I, I already have a Damien. So you just, you get to be you. And growing up in the Calvary movement, where we're from, a lot of the guys were like, want to be Bill Gallatin's before his son Scott took over. And there's this conference that we would go to that he would do with us, us guys that have kind of come out from under his church. It grew to be in probably like 100 people plus. And Bill, for years, because remember, I've known him my whole life, he'd always wear, like, cut, he'd take his sweatshirts and cut them at the sleeves, and, um, and then he'd wear these big slippers and sweatpants. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Bill. He's a big, he used to do construction. He's a big guy, and he would sit there this way, and he would just kind of be who he is, you know, when he would teach, and the way he'd enunciate and speak. And there was all, and I, as a teenage boy going with my dad, I'd watch all these guys, and they were like a bunch of wannabe Bills. Uh, everyone, every year, they'd come with the slippers, and they would cut their sweatshirts and they would do the obvious. And it was like, it grieved me. Because I've always been, since I was a kid, like, oh, everyone's going right, I'm going left. I never cared what people thought. I don't care what people think. It's, I'm thankful that God has given me that freedom. But then when I took the pulpit, I thought, well, that can't be anymore. And to some degree, it can be, reverently and respectfully, you can be your sanctified self. And there's just this freedom in it. Saul's going to say to David in chapter 17, I, you're going to go fight. You got to wear that. Here's the armor. And he's like, I didn't prove the armor. I can't use the armor. Give me my slingshot. Give me my stone. Listen, I've already beaten up a bear. I've already beaten up a lion. He took one of my sheep. I grabbed him by his beard and I whacked him. And that was the end of that. You know, like there's just this, this is how I'm comfortable to fight. I'm just a blue collar street fight and brawler. You know, that's who I am. Like I, I, I I've proved my slingshot. I, I know how to use, I know how to take stones and sling them. Like the, and, and then ultimately Obviously, my confidence and faith is in God, not armor. For goodness sakes, he could have wound up and swung that way, and the stone would have went that way and slayed the giant. And I love him after the story it has nothing to do with today, but how do you not bring it up? You know, he, he then eventually, after he slays the giant, he cuts his head, and he's running around everywhere holding the head in his hand. When he's finally brought to Saul there at the end of chapter 17, he's still holding the giant's aunt, head, which just shows you he's crazy. He's loco. He's walking around with this Philistine's head, you know. I just think, you know, he's probably got the bear mounted and the lion mounted. Now he's going to mount the head. And, and I love that he's got extra stones, you know. It's like he's saying to his, it's like he's saying to Goliath's brothers, you want some, you know. He's crazy. He's crazy. I was talking to Dave, right? How could I forget great man of God's name? And we were talking, we know Pastor Bobby Hargraves. I know a lot of you know Pastor Bobby. He's a good friend of mine. He's crazy. 
He's, he's out of his mind. And, and, and I've always loved him because he's just who he is. Uh, Pastor Prince, you know, I was, I, was, I was intrigued by him, even though it was just a video. Usually on those things, I can't pay attention. I, I, don't, I don't focus very well. And I was, and I was so drawn to this man. Um, he has like a Pastor Chuck glow. He's got a smile about him. He, and it's real though. See, if I came up here and was real bubbly, you would want to punch me. It's not real. I'm not, a, I'm not a bubbly person. The same thing's going on inside me that's going on in Pastor Prince. I just don't, that's not me to walk around smiling and being that. I'm, I'm actually, I look miserable most of the times. It's, it's, it's not that I am miserable. It's just my demeanor. And I just know that the Lord told me to tell you, it's okay to be you. In fact, God can't really use you the way that he wants to use you till the only one that you're trying to mirror is him. And I think if you want to ride the notion that David was a man after God's own heart, I think then you should ride that, that David mirrored God. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't holy the way that we would say holy and flawless. He constantly blew it, but he never changed God's. And he was always going the same direction as Jehovah. And after he fell, he would own it and he would continue to move forward. But the emphasis here then is that God has his plan and purpose. God likes David. Isn't that amazing too? I know I got to be done. Is is it time? I don't even know what time I started. Uh, I'll be done. I'll just close here. God likes David. That freed me up too. Jesus likes you. He doesn't just love you because then you're like, well, he has to love me. Because that means you got to love your kids. you got to love your creator. He likes you. The Father loves us as he loves Jesus. So like we've already earned his approval, if you would, in him. And being himself, having the Holy Spirit be upon him, we have it in even a greater measure as New Testament saints. We're sealed to the day of redemption. I leave you with this. He goes and he refreshes Saul, who's, who's troubled by this evil spirit. He, when he's in the presence of Saul, Saul can breathe. It's like the space is enlarged. I like that word picture. It's, I, I, you know, I, I, I could be claustrophobic. I don't like to be closed in. I like, the, I like the imagery that it gives, that when David came and ministered to Saul, it's like he could... It's like his space was enlarged. You got to see this little plane we fly back to Rochester on. I need it to be enlarged. <laughs> it's so tiny. It's, it's, it, you're on top of each other. And when you get off the plane, it's like, oh, I can breathe. And I feel like the Lord just says, hey, that's what I want to do with these guys. I want to I wanna fill them with the oil of gladness. I want to pour my spirit upon them, not because of them, despite them. Just as they are obviously growing in grace, obviously sanctification that comes by the work of the Spirit having its work in our lives. I'm not diminishing any of that. But even in the process of going from glory to glory, letting him take you and use you and infiltrate that world to give breath, to enlarge people's spaces. Everyone's troubled. Everyone's fearful. Everyone's overwhelmed. People are turning to all sorts of things to drown, to numb, to suppress. God's given us this mission field to be real. So the message has been given to preach the gospel. We should preach the God. Yes, but we could also just be refreshing and be real by being a presence as spiritual men, as spiritual men. So I leave you with this. I came across 
something beautiful. Uh, Wycliffe, uh, Bible translator, 57 years um, for the people in the Amazon basin and up in the Andy Mountain Range. Um, he, he, he records here what Major Ian Thomas gave to him. He said, I have three things for you, the Major said, and I leave you with these three things. He says, go where you're sent, stay where you're put, and do what you're asked. He says, go where you're sent. You know, we've been listening to God's army. We're his men. Go where you're sent. And then the key then is after you're sent somewhere, stay where you're put so long as he puts you there. And then do what you're asked. In this instance, it was, David, I want you to play the harp. Josephus says that when the horn of oil was poured out on David's head, that Samuel pulls the hair, the locks of David's hair behind his ear and whispers in his ear, you are now the king of Israel. But depending on his age, it's going to be like 10 to 15 years before that comes to fruition. It seems like from the flow of the chapter, the next destination he finds himself at is in the king's palace getting, you know, javelins thrown at him and being, and the Lord has him in this peculiar season. It's like, this is nothing kingly at all. But he continues to do what he's asked. He continues to allow God's work to have its perfect way in his life. He goes where he's sent, he stays where he's put, and he does what he's asked. And if I could add like a parenthetical note there, if you're taking notes, I would say this to you. There's no idea place to serve God. I think we think sometimes, well, yeah, if I, if I got sent where there was an ocean, or if I got sent where there were palm trees, these are the things I say to God. You know, where if my people were different, you know what's funny? I've been watching all of you guys today. It's just my personality. We got one of all of you back home. I say to my brother, I say, even the pastoral staff, I don't know everybody. I've been meeting everybody. I say to my brother, oh, that's like Larry. Okay, that's like our Mike. Or, you know, we, we have like you guys back home. Well, everybody's the same everywhere to some degree. And I think sometimes we think, oh, if I were in this place or if this were my place of employment or this was my neighborhood or if this was the amount of money I made or if this was my location whatever it would be well then I could serve God more faithfully no there's no idea place this world is hostile toward Christ and it's getting worse so go where you're sent stay where you're, where you're put and do what you're asked so long as the Holy Spirit is continuously being poured out upon your life I want to pray for you I want to take a moment just to pray for you. If there's anybody in this place, first of all, that doesn't know Jesus Christ yet as their Lord and Savior, you got invited. Somebody conned you into coming. You lost a bet. I don't know why you're here. <laughs> Free lunch. Two Nathans, not just one, but two Nathan quarter pounder hot dogs. You guys come to New York sometime. Zweigels are better. Remember I told you that. Do they have Zweigels here? No, yeah. You, you've not had a hot dog till you had a Zweigel. I'll never be invited back. I, I quoted a man, and then I'm talking against Pastor Joe's hot dogs. But if there's anybody here today in all sincerity where you say, you know, I don't fully know what you're saying or what the other guys have said, but I do know that there's something that I'm missing based on what I'm observing in the room, I will tell you very plainly that it's the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. And if you're in this place and you want to receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, you say, I don't like it the way that it went for that Saul guy, and I like the, the way that it went for that David guy. I want David's story, not Saul's story. I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm bent. I know, I, I know that in the natural, I don't do good, I do bad. And I want that changed in my life. I, I, I want to I become a king's kid. 
I want to reign and rule over my flesh nature and my sin nature in this life with Christ. If that's you here today, you just want to make your calling and election sure, would you just raise your hand at this men's day? And if nobody does, that's fine, but at least my hands are clean of your blood, if there is. If there's anybody in this space, I know it's probably like, well, I mean, this is awkward. How am I going to receive Christ right now? Someone thought I was saved or whatever it would be. I just want to give opportunity. If there's anybody in this place, you just want to receive Jesus Christ. God bless you. If there's anybody in this room, you know, and you say, I'm just not going to raise my hand, but my heart's pounding and I'm starting to sweat because you won't move from it and I need to do this. I'll just tell you this. You don't have to do it in front of me or in front of the other guys. You just, if you, the Bible says, believe in your heart that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ is the Savior and you profess it with your mouth, you will be saved from your sins. So I'm going to lead this brother in a prayer. And if you're here and you need to do it too, you just pray it out loud. So just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Please come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live for you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. For anybody that's here then who's obviously already received Christ, but you just say, man, I want that horn of oil poured out afresh on me. Would you stand so I could pray for you? Just, Lord, I want your spirit poured out on me afresh. I want to be me, living for you, wherever you put me, God. I want to go where I'm sent, stay where I'm put, and do what I'm asked. Just, yeah, if you would stand, I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would flood us with his presence. Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Forgive us for grieving you. Forgive us for quenching you. For, forgive us, Lord, for duplicity, hypocrisy, inconsistency, carnality. Lord, thank you that you are merciful and gracious and kind, long-suffering. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us today. As we get ready, Lord, to close the conference soon here, Lord, we pray that we would leave here filled to the brim with your presence in our lives. That we would overflow you, Jesus, onto our wives and our children, our communities, our neighborhoods, Lord, our workplaces, our schools. God, wherever we go from here, we pray that we would leak Jesus on people that there would just be this realness that we have with you that others see, and it would cause them to want what we have, a reality with the King. God, we thank you for choosing us. We thank you, Lord, for putting in our hearts to respond rightly to you. We thank you for your patience in our lives. Help us to continue, Lord, in the direction that you're going. And it's in Jesus' name. For Jesus' glory, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless.